When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're alive. Let's get started. We've come back to some of Job's speeches that are in the middle of the book, um, chapter 28, as we've concluded it yesterday, which it's kind of like the way we read Shakespeare nowadays. We read Shakespeare, you can go to a Shakespearean production or watch one on TV or a movie, um, a remake or something like that. And, or you can just like hear a phrase of Shakespeare, to be or not to be, that is the question. What light from yonder window breaks? Um, all these phrases from Shakespeare are good in isolation. You don't really need to watch the whole play to enjoy that one line. And I guess the lectionary is taking us back to a really beautiful part of the book of Job, where Job, in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of his friend's terrible consolations and advice, um, he is looking for wisdom. And he describes that search for wisdom as like a miner going into the earth. Um, I can't help but think of the new show, Lord of the Rings, and their uh, depiction of the dwarves who dwe- delve in the deep and they build these castles in the mountains and they mine gold and jewels and things like that. And that is the, what Job is saying that going into a mine, which in Job's day would be going in and using candlelight or firelight um, to see what you're digging, and what you're excavating and mining. Um, so a much more difficult and risky activity than even today, although it's still very risky. But this search for wisdom is like mining, in that you have to go down where the really hard stuff is. I can't help but think of the way we talk about learning, experiential learning. You know that school where the tuition is really, really high? Life. Um, the tuition is expensive. It's costly. It seems disproportionately high for what we're learning. Things like patience, and acceptance, and love, and joy in the midst of suffering, hope, all of those lessons that we learn, or even like boundaries and how to be ourselves in difficult circumstances and how to handle people and places and things that we experience. All of that expensive learning in the school of life is... Um, is at that place where we call rock bottom. Um, And that could be a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but that pushing up against the hard surfaces of our experiences in life. Job describes that search for wisdom um, and in some ways futile search for wisdom. It's a lot easier to find gold under the mountain than it is to find wisdom. And all the ways that we look for wisdom that God has hidden 
God hides wisdom in the rocks. Maybe that will help us when we think, you know, why aren't I better at this? I am blank years old. I've had some life experiences and I still have struggles. I still have challenges. I still don't do it right all the time. I still upset people and I still upset myself and I still find myself in situations that are overwhelming and I can't always handle myself and handle my temper, or handle my words or um, you would think at this age, I'd be better at this. Um, but what Job is saying is God has hidden wisdom. God is like when he created the world, he took little bits of wisdom and stuck them in secret places for us to discover. And our whole life is really just a discovery of that wisdom, that God is hidden, not obvious to us. Think about when you were 15 or 16 and you started out and you looked ahead at your life or imagined it, what it would be like, what you would experience, the joys and happinesses and some of your anxieties and fears and worries. Um, you know, you probably couldn't see where you would become wise or you'd learn wisdom. Hard to see those things when we're young. As we get older, we find that finding wisdom is like mining. You've got to kind of work at it for a long, long, long time. Your knuckles get kind of scarred up and fingers and calluses on our hands as we're swinging the pickaxe and our lungs are a little choked by the torchlight under there. But ultimately, it is the search for wisdom that brings us into God's presence. His conclusion of his speech is that truly the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Um, this is wisdom, the fear of the Lord. We talked about this the other day, and it was beautiful to hear your stories shared of moments of great emotion where either fear or respect or however you understand fear, this fear of the Lord um, and had those experiences is ultimately Emotions are experiences that we have. And we use words to describe those experiences of like awe and wonder and fear and anxiety and respect for our experiences with God. And those are all just linguistic attempts to get at what we felt on that one day. When we had those feelings, we can never forget. Um, and to know that that was God with us. That in those moments of awe and wonder at our own lives, at the place we find ourselves in life and all the things that we experience, that wonder and awe is wisdom. Um, Jesus, the, the scriptures and the faith that we practice does not teach that if you just get smarter and smarter, you'll, smarter, you'll become wise. If you just get more degrees or more experiential learning or whatever it is, that you'll just become wiser and wiser. It is in contemplating God that we become wise. For Christians, we contemplate God through the person of Jesus Christ. What is God like? How is God working in the world? We look at the story of Jesus and we say, that's how God works in the world. That's what God looks like. And for that one moment in, in Jesus' life, when he hung on the cross, for our sins, that was when we contemplated the suffering God, God incarnate, 
experiencing that pain of crucifixion on the earth. That is also our contemplation of God through Jesus Christ. When God experienced joy and of the healing of people that were sick, when God, um, and when God experienced the, the joy of laughter of children, as Jesus said, let the children come unto me um, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. All those experiences that Jesus had was an experience that we have with God. In his presence, we find God. We know what God is like through him. Um, if we ever want to know if we're loved, if we ever want to know if we're worthy of love, if we ever wonder if God really loves us or anybody does, um, we look at Jesus and say, yes, in Christ we are loved. In Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are reconciled to God. And that is where our hope comes from as Christians. Um, that is the wisdom that God is teaching. Not just learning more stuff or being smarter or being better at something. Ultimately, wisdom comes from contemplating God. And the place where we contemplate that experience with God the most is in the kind of stuff that Job has gone through. And um, I wish it were different sometimes. I wish these things wouldn't have happened, we might say. Um, but ultimately, um, it is in those places where God is most present. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch woman, Christian woman, who sheltered Jewish people in her home. Her parents did. She was a young woman. And she and her sisters and I think brother um, hid Jewish people from the Nazis as they had invaded and occupied Holland. And they resisted that. And they hid Jewish people who were trying to flee to neutral and safer countries, um, literally hiding them secretly in their house and their cupboards and secret passageways and things. Um, and eventually they were caught by the Nazis and she was sent to a concentration camp um, for people like her that had done that kind of work. Um, she, um, in that time when her sister was dying in that camp, um, she said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that Jesus is not deeper still. That no matter where we are, and I can't think of a more horrific place to be than where she was, um, that Jesus is still down there in the depths with us. Um, that we are not alone in those pits that we find ourselves in. Um, and that, to me, is what Job is saying here. That when you go down into the mine and you think, there's no one here, there's just darkness, that's the place where we're the closest to God. And she knew that, and she lived the rest of her life proclaiming that truth uh, to the world. And we do that same thing, and that's what Job does. And so I appreciate all of you that have taught me those lessons from your own life, from your own stories and own experience. Amen. Today is September 15th. We celebrate the life of Cyprian, bishop and martyr of Carthage. Cyprian was a rich aristocratic and cultivated rhetorician in North Africa. Um, rhetorician is not a job title today, generally. There are some out there. Um, but as one professor once told me uh, in class, he said, 
a rhetorician of this time period was kind of like the Steven Spielberg of their day. They would create events, um, usually involving public speaking or drama, not necessarily plays, but, but like events of public speaking to wow people and to impress them with their amazing words, their rhetoric. Um, rhetoric kind of means something bad today. Like, I don't want to hear that rhetoric. We use that expression a lot. Um, but in fact, in this time, and up until quite recently, to be a rhetorician or to engage in rhetoric was a really important part of education and a part of entertainment, too. Um, in that Aristotle and others made it really clear that you're supposed to learn stuff in your head <coughs> by study, but if you can't speak it in a way that is compelling and cogent and makes a lot of sense to people, um, it's kind of pointless. So what is his three things? Pathos, or logos, pathos, and ethos, I think, were the three things that you have to have. You have to have the word, logos, like content, like things you know and are sure of and you've researched, where logos is part of the word um, to study, to speak, to learn. Um, so like words like theology, that's where logos comes in. Uh, cosmopology, cosmetology, um, cosmology, uh, you know, any word with ology at the end, um, like science or other study. And then pathos, passion, you have to have passion for what you're saying and studying. And then um, to have that rhetoric and then ethos, like it has to be ethical, has to be good. What you're saying has to be good on some level um, for the benefit of the hearer or the benefit of the world, um, not for some other more self-absorbed reason. So that's what he was involved in. He converted to Christianity about 246 AD. So this is before the Roman Empire is a safe place for Christians. It's a very dangerous place for Christians. And by 248, he was chosen to be Bishop of Carthage. A year later, in the persecution under Emperor Decius, Cyprian went into hiding. For this, he was severely criticized. Um, this was a big controversy in the early church in this time, is what do you do when they come for you? Um, when they're trying to round up and arrest Christians and confiscate their property, do you stand in front of your house or stand in front of the house where your church meets and say, arrest me and torture me and kill me in the lion with the lions? Or do you run and hide? Um, you know, I think both were acceptable and Christian responses, um, but Christians in that time hotly debated what was right. Jesus certainly didn't run away when they tried to crucify him. And so they, they had their point and others said, yeah, Paul ran away all the time when they were trying to kill him. He was always running away. And even Jesus ran away a few times when they tried to grab him and throw him over a cliff and things like that. So both had their points, and there was controversial, his running away. Um, he was severely criticized. Nonetheless, he kept in touch with his church by letter and directed it with wisdom and compassion. A lot of church leadership is remote, by technology in this day, letter technology with us at Zoom and other email and texting, um, as we do not all live in the same exact house or same exact compound or whatever 
you know, some groups may have lived in at some time. Um, we have to communicate with the technology we have. And that's what he did um, from a distance. He directed with wisdom and compassion the controversy over what to do with those who had lapsed during the persecution. These are people that hadn't run away and hadn't stood up and been martyred, but had said, I renounce Christ. I am no longer a Christian. Please don't kill me. Please don't take my stuff. I won't be a Christian anymore. And they were called the lapsed. They had a sincere faith and they didn't like that they had, were coerced into renouncing Christ. So they did it kind of with their fingers crossed, but with enough emphasis that, to be convincing. And that was a hard group of people for the church to bring back when the persecution would die down. You can imagine sitting around a table with a bunch of bishops and priests and leaders of the church. Some of them were missing hands, fingers, ears, noses. Um, from the persecutions, tortures. Some were dead and they weren't there. And others were perfectly fine. They had been in hiding or had renounced the faith and had come back to it. And you can imagine how difficult that would be um, for them. And so Cyprian held that they should be reconciled to the church after suitable periods of penance. The gravity of the lapse determined the length of the penance. Um, his moderate position was the one that the church eventually adopted against the rigorous Novatian group that led a schism at Rome and Antioch over this very question. Church splits were common in the early church. Anybody who tells you the early church was somehow unified over and perfect and good and charming and nice and didn't have any troubles, it's bull. Uh, the, the church has always had controversies, always had disagreements, um, that is, the, that is what has always been going on. Always had splits, always had different denominations, always had rivalries and petty grievances and all those things. Um, <coughs> and so this was happening in his day. There was another persecution that happened um, under Emperor Valerian. Uh, Game of Thrones terminology there. Cyprian was placed under house arrest in Carthage and on September 14th, uh, 258, he was beheaded for his faith. Many of the writings of Cyprian have been preserved. His letter um, number 63 contains one of the earliest affirmations that the priest in offering the Eucharist, the sacrifice, acts in the place of Christ, imitating Christ's actions. This is called in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, that the priest um, is indwelt by the person of Christ in presiding at the Eucharist, and that um, it is in that indwelling and in that personification of Jesus in our presence that um, we experience communion with Jesus. Um, this is not to mean that the priest is Christ um, any more than any of us are Christ, and yet we are all Christ. Um, we are little Christs as Christians, all of us, if you're baptized. But the priest presiding at the Eucharist in that meal, um, just as Jesus did for his congregation, his disciples, um, that, is, that is enacted there. In his treatise on the Lord's Prayer, he wrote, we say, hallowed be thy name. Not that we want God to be made holy by our prayers, but because we seek from the Lord that which his name may be made holy in us, so that we who have been made holy in baptism may persevere in what we have begun to be. 
Although there is some question whether his book on the unity of the Catholic Church affirms papal primacy, there is no question about the clarity of his statements on the unity of the College of Bishops and the sin of schism. He said, The episcopate, the bishops, in a single whole, he wrote, in which each bishop's share gives him a right to and a responsibility for the whole. So is the church, a single whole, though she spreads far and wide into a multitude of churches. If you leave the Church of Christ, you will not come to Christ's rewards. You will be an alien, an outcast, an enemy. You cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. Um, and I think uh, we could read that a number of different ways. I'm not sure what he meant by it completely. But I like to use this illustration for the church when people say things like, you know, I had to leave the church because it was abusive to me or coercive and I didn't like it. And they had tried to make me do things and say things and believe things that I didn't believe. Um, and it wasn't about Jesus. It was about their own agendas and things. Um, and I try to use this quote that way. If you don't have, you can't say you have God for your father if you don't have the church for your mother. In that, this, I have a mother, believe it or not, and um, she raised me. She gave birth to me. I'm very thankful for that. She fed me. She cared for me. She kept me alive. She taught me how to eat and drink and brush my teeth. And my dad did some of that stuff, but mainly it was my mom. And um, taught me how to do personal hygiene, things that I still do today. Um, all that stuff my mother did for me. And I, have, I, I am so thankful for that and always will be. Um, I learned about life from my mother. She gave me life. At the same time, my mother does, I do not take my mother's advice on every subject of my life and every decision I make. I don't call my mom for every coffee I'm going to buy, for every place I'm going to move, for career changes or where to go to school or uh, who to marry and who to date or who to um, be friends with or who to go on a trip with. Those are not always consultations that I make with my mother. Um, even though she gave me life and I'm profoundly grateful for that. And I always want to, as best I can and best she can, maintain a good relationship with her. Um, and I think that's the way the church should be. Um, the church should, does teach us about Jesus. That's where we learn about Jesus. If it wasn't for the church, we would not know anything about Jesus. The church has preserved the Holy Scriptures that contain his life and teachings um, down through generations, the church has told us who Jesus was and who God is. Um, the church has given us that life in a very nurturing and profound way. But there are limits to the mothering love of the church. And I hope you know those limits, that we at this church are not here to tell you exactly how to live every part of your life. We're not really even here to tell you what kind of opinions you're supposed to have about every subject on earth. Um, you've got to be your own person and engage with the church like a grown-up enga should engage with their mother, with love, respect, and, you know, relationship, but not always one that is unequal, um, one, not always one that is infant mother, but one that is grown-up mother, um, as we relate to our parents as grown-ups, should be a little different than the way we relate to our parents as babies. 
And um, I think that metaphor for the church is a really good one that we need to preserve um, because we do want God for our father and the church for our mother. Um, we need both parents in life um, to, to um, help us along. And the fact that human parents have many failings, including me, um, is witness to that too. But um, that doesn't mean there isn't God's grace and life breaking through all that as well. Almighty God, who gave to your servant Cyprian boldness to confess the name of our Savior Jesus Christ before the rulers of this world and courage to die for this faith, grant that we may always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us and to gladly suffer for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.